0: John chapter 1. We're going to start a new sermon series. We preached through 1 John before. Uh, we're going to do it again, uh, different messages, but uh, really just a great book. Uh, 1 John was written as a family letter from the father to his little children. It's one of the most personal uh, books of the Bible, specifically to Christians. It's not looking at the world. It kind of just locks in on the children of God. It doesn't look at government, it looks at God's children. It doesn't look at sin against the law, but sin against the Father. And it's the advocate that Christ provides for the children to have. It's a book or a letter, it's designed to make God's children feel at home. Uh, If you've gone away to college and then come back home, uh, you understand that comfort feeling. Uh, when I went to college, I left Tennessee and went to Wisconsin, um, and, uh, and after a couple months in Wisconsin, I was ready to get back down to Tennessee. Uh, there, was, uh, there, there was very few things about Wisconsin that I liked, um, but uh, nonetheless, uh, uh, you know, that feeling of being home, that comfort. Of being home, maybe even now you feel it. If you go back, if your parents still live where uh, you grew up, and you go back, and there's the similar smells and uh, the similar tastes and things like that, that just go. You know, it's funny. My wife, she makes a very good spaghetti, but um, and she uses my mom's recipe, but it doesn't taste like mom's spaghetti. Does that make any sense? Uh, and uh, I just remember uh, the first time she made it, she was excited because she knew I liked it. And, uh, and, and I ate it. It was good. There was nothing wrong with it. But it didn't taste like mom's. She's like, I made it exactly like your mom said. So I asked mom, mom, did you lie? Uh, did you not give her everything? Uh, and mom swears she did. Of course, mom, her, her recipes is a little bit of this and a little bit of that, not a, you know, not a teaspoon of this and a teaspoon of that. So who knows how it all worked out. But uh, you understand that familiar feel, that home feeling, and that's what 1 John is designed to do for Christians. It's to make Christians feel at home, make them comfortable, let them be in that spot that is the most safe, even to say. And 1 John's broken down into two parts. The first part uh, is really the first three chapters of the book covers the family of God with the Father. And then the second part, the last two chapters of the book, is the family of God and the world. So we're going to look at, at, uh, at, at those as we go through the book. We'll take several weeks to get through it. But today I want us to focus in on the fellowship that God intended. The fellowship that God intended. Because we understand that as a family of God, God desires fellowship. There, is, there are few things that God desires more than fellowship. Uh, the idea that, that we are in constant communication with God and that we are listening to what God is saying to us so having that fellowship, and we've talked about in the past, and we'll cover it in this book too, but the idea of, uh, I'm, I'm trying to hurry, um, the idea, <laughs> the idea of, uh, of, of that open relationship, the fellowship with God, where, where we can fully hear and understand what God is telling us, and where we can listen and understand, but also where we can talk with God where there's no hindrances, there's nothing that's blocking our fellowship with God, so that when we speak, uh, God always hears, but when we speak, it does not hinder the answer to the prayer that we're asking. And so this morning, I want us to focus in on that in the first part of this letter to us, God's little children, uh, the fellowship that God intended. Look with me in verse number 1, 1 John chapter 1, verse number 1. The Bible says, "...that which was from the beginning..." which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father, and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father, and with His Son, Jesus Christ." And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. This then is the message which we have heard of Him, and declare unto you that God is a light, and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him, and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanseth us from all sin." If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar, and the word and His word is not in us. Lord, I pray that You'd help us this morning as we begin in this book, in this letter that You've written to Christians. And God, I pray that as we focus in today on fellowship and fellowship with You, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to understand how you intended for that fellowship to be. I pray that you'd help me as I present these verses, that i do it clearly and that i do it correctly. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We see here this idea of fellowship. And we'll see it a little bit throughout the entire book to some degree. Again, 1 John is written to Christians. There are books of the Bible that are written to Jews, and there are books of the Bible that are written to Gentiles, and there are books of the Bible that are written to uh, different people and specific individuals and things like that. But the book of 1 John, the epistle, the letter of 1 John, is written to Christians. And as I was reading through this this week, uh, it just continued to hit home with me that this is for me. This is intended for me. This is something that God is saying. Now, all the Bible is applicable. I believe that with all my heart. Now, all the Bible is applicable to all of us. But this book is penned for you. And I pray that as we go through it, you'll you'll view it in that way. This is not a a letter that was written to the church of whatever. This is not a letter that was written to... uh, um, the slave owner of this guy. This is not a letter that was written to this group of people. This is a letter written to you. And so as we go through it, understand the intimacy of this letter, uh, how personal this letter is, what God desires for you and in your life. Number one this morning, I want us to see that Christ makes fellowship possible. That without Christ, fellowship is not possible. Christ makes fellowship possible. John 1 verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, knowing that Christ became that Word. And here we see it in verse number 1 and verse number 2. Actually, in verse number 2 it says, For the life was manifested, that's God becoming man, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. How was it manifested unto us? Manifested unto us through Jesus Christ. Christ makes fellowship possible. When Christ left heaven and came to this earth, you remember the story, right? He was born in a manger, uh, well, he was born in a barn and then placed in a manger. Uh, he was, and, and there he was wrapped in swaddling clothes. You remember that wonderful story? Uh, that if it makes you think of hot chocolate and marshmallows and, uh, and scents and music, great. Uh, but we'll get to it in December. Uh, so we have Christ. He's born. And he's raised up in this home of Mary and Joseph. You remember Joseph is a carpenter. And uh, Joseph teaches and trains Jesus and, and raises him. Uh, and Mary, of course, is his mother. Then as he grows, the Bible says he grew in wisdom and in stature. And as he grows, very quickly on in his life, we see him sitting in a temple teaching or talking and sharing great wisdom. And the teachers are sitting there. The men are sitting there going, this kid is smart. Boy, he knows what he's talking about. Who is this kid? Of course, that's the same time that Joseph and Mary left him at the store, uh, so to say took off and realized, where's Jesus? I don't know. I thought you had him. I thought you had him. They went back and found him, their teaching. And then he continues to grow. And then as an adult, we see Jesus out beginning to minister. And he goes out and he uh, calls disciples. And he gets some fishermen and a tax collector and some different business people and some different people. And he calls them to him, 12 of them. And they begin to follow him around. And he begins to teach them and train them and, 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 and explain to them what was about to happen. And we notice that as things begin to progress, the disciples really didn't grasp what was about to happen. But you remember Jesus, uh, one night praying in the garden, Uh, one of his disciples betrayed him. Uh, God used him to do so. And these men came and they arrested Jesus and they threw false accusations at him and they sentenced him to death. But you see, the reason why Jesus came was to die. That was His whole purpose in coming. He says, I don't come into the world to judge the world, but uh, to to share the gospel with the world, to, to to save the world, to give them opportunity that they did not have. And so Jesus then was nailed to a cross. He was beaten first. He was nailed to a cross. And on the cross, He took the weight of sin upon Him. So He took my sin, who would come thousands of years later. He took my sin and He put it on His back. And as He was nailed to the cross, He was being punished for my sins. And He was being punished for your sins. He was was made manifest for us. And so He was nailed to the cross, and He took on the punishment that I deserved. And He died for me. And He died for you. He was taken off the cross, and He was buried. And three days later, He rose from the dead. And when He rose from the dead, He became victorious. Victorious over what? Well, victorious over death, death couldn't contain Him. Victorious over the grave, the grave couldn't contain Him. And victorious over sin, sin could not defeat Him. And with that victory then, He offers to us the same victory. The Bible says that we're all sinners. There's none righteous, no, not one. The Bible says, for we have all sinned and we come short of the glory of God. Meaning, I cannot attain God by my own self. There's nothing that I can do to do so. The Bible says that the wages of sin or the payment of sin is death. It's eternal separation from God. But it goes on to say that the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's the eternal life they're talking about there in verse number 2. That eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. And the Bible goes on to say that, that even though God knew who I was and the sinner that I would be, He still loved me and He gave His life for me. The Bible says in Romans 10 that whosoever calleth upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Anyone who says, God, I'm a sinner and I depend on you to get me to heaven. I can't do it. Lord, save me. The Bible says God will save that person. And that's what we're talking about here of being made manifest. And fellowship with God is only possible because of Christ. Without Christ, we don't have any fellowship with God. Fellowship begins with Christ because of Christ at salvation. When I say, God, I need to be saved, I was fortunate as a child to be around uh, church and preaching a lot. Uh, so I was, we were there every Sunday and Wednesday. Then during the summer, we were in services almost every night of the week. Then uh, during the off-season, we worked at camp. So during the off-season, we would travel with another preacher, and so I'd be in kids' meetings and, and services all the time. So I heard a lot of Bible in the early ages of my life. So at four years old, I didn't understand everything, but at four years old, I understood that I was a sinner and that I was going to go to hell because of that sin. And I understood that Jesus died for me, and so I said, God save me. And He did. And I have friends who, in their 30s, finally came to that realization and said, God save me, and God did. I know people in their 80s who finally came to that realization, and they said, God saved me, and God did. The Bible says that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And at salvation, my fellowship began with God. I had had that communication. That as a little kid when I was scared because of a storm, yes, I would go to my mom and my dad. Uh, My mom was more compassionate than my dad, but I would go to them, yes, but I, and I, they would always tell me and I would always pray, God, I'm scared in different ways. But, you know, am I going to die tonight? What's happening? Lord, help me. I'm scared. And you know what? And God gave me some peace. And as I got older, I began to pray uh, about more things and have that communication with God about more things, about provision, uh, about wisdom, about guidance. And you know what? God answers And that fellowship is open because of what Christ did for me. And when I got saved, when I said, God save me, that fellowship became open, but it was only available to me because of what Christ did. Christ makes fellowship possible. He says there that that which we have heard, seen, and handled, uh, Jesus Christ. We're talking about the apostle John here is the human author of this. And we see here he, he experienced Christ. He was with Christ. He heard Christ. And He says, that's what we're sharing to you. That's what we're, we're trying to show you. And, and that God, that Jesus that we saw, it was manifested unto us. And, and He showed us eternal life. And He shows it to everyone. It's available if you'll accept it. Christ makes fellowship possible. Number two this morning, I want us to see that fellowship is with the Father and the Son. He says that right there in verse number 3 uh, at the end of the verse. But he says, That which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you that you also have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with who? The Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Now, the Father and the Son are one. And this is, this is a very uh, confusing and hard to understand thing. If God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They're, they're a triune. They're three in one. They're, they're the same. But here we see this, this pointed out to us. Uh, so that that our minds can comprehend it, I think, a little bit. He says here that Christ is the advocate for us. He goes to the Father on our behalf. When Christ looks at my life, because I am God's child, because Jesus Christ saved me, when God looks at me, He does not see my sin. He sees Jesus' righteousness. And because of what Christ did for me and made that fellowship possible, Christ is the advocate now for me with the Father. But we have access to the Father, and we have access to the Son. We have access to God. I've not really been around Catholicism uh, very much. I have only know what I see from the movies and heard from conversations. But one thing that most Catholics will tell you, if not all, is you have to go to the priest to confess, and other religions do this too, go to the priest to confess, and the priest will go, to God with your confession. But the Bible teaches us that I get to go straight to God. The mediator is Jesus. Who's Jesus? He's God. I get to go straight to God. My fellowship is not with the priest or some other person. It's with God. I don't get put on hold. I don't don't, don't go uh, uh, go to God's secretary and say, I need to talk to God. And she says, "Uh, all right, have a seat. He'll be with you when he can. No, I just go, God? And he says, yes. And we talk. Now, do I ever hear God audibly? No. (laughs) Uh, I've talked to people who said they have. Uh, Okay. But I have not. Uh, But God does speak. God gives me comfort. He gives me peace. He gives me guidance. He gives me understanding. He gives me help. But it comes when I'm fellowshipping with Him. And that's who I'm fellowshipping with, is God. I have fellowship with God the Father and God the Son, and for that matter, God the Holy Spirit. John 17, verse 20 and 21 says, Christ speaking just before Judas betrayed Him. He's praying and He says, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on Me through their word that they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us. The desire of God has always been fellowship. He, He wants you to talk to Him. He wants to talk to you. And here we're told that this letter is being written to us for a purpose, that our joy May be full. Well, How is our joy full? Through fellowship with God. Verse number 4 says, And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. The purpose for this letter, the reason why God has given this to us, is so that our joy may be full. And our joy is full when we are having fellowship with God. Would you You can hold your place, but would you turn with me to John chapter 15. I want you to see this. John chapter 15. We see another uh, uh, same phrasing about joy being full here in John chapter 15. I want to read several verses. Some of these will be familiar to to you. It says in John 15 verse 1, I am the true vine, Jesus speaking. I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, and it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word uh, which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. You see the fellowship idea here? The vine and the branches? You cut the branch off, it's not going to produce anything anymore. It has to have fellowship with the vine, so to say. So we see here, and except... Uh, uh, It abide in the vine. It's not going to bear fruit. No more can ye except ye abide in me. He says, I am the vine, verse 5, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. Because that's their only use if they're not attached to the vine. Uh, In verse number 7, If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. There's the fellowship. It's working because we're connected to to the vine. If ye ask, I'll give. Verse 8, Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. Fellowship with God brings joy. Separation from God There's not going to be joy. Moses, he left Egypt uh, and chose to suffer with, with God's people. And it says that he chose, instead of sin for a season, he chose to follow. And I always remind people of this. Sin for a season brings sometimes temporary happiness. Sin for a season brings sometimes temporary happiness because i think we would all say we've done something that we weren't supposed to do but when we're in the moment maybe we felt happy but that happiness leaves the bible tells us that sin always leads to destruction now what is destruction it varies in different ways right but sin always leads to a negative negative ending joy Lasting joy, satisfying joy, fulfillment of joy comes through fellowship with God. When the branch is connected to the vine. When we are receiving everything from God that He desires for us to receive. And we can't get that if we get cut off. If we get cut off from the vine, we are just a branch. And the branch dies, it withers, as as John 15 said. and, And the use of it now is just to burn. If you want joy, you need fellowship with God. And to have fellowship with God, you need Christ. Christ makes fellowship possible. And now we have fellowship with God, the Father and the Son. Direct fellowship with them. It's a wonderful thing. Number three, lastly this morning, I want us to see the conditions of fellowship. The conditions of fellowship. Look in verse number five. It says, this then is the message which we have heard of him, Jesus, and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness, we're lying and we do not the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sins. Fellowship. The condition to fellowship, the first condition is walk in the light. Walk here is including your exterior and your interior. It's not just an action. God does not have a checklist. There's not a a checklist where you can say, well, I did this and I did this and I did this, so I'm good. It's It's not how God works. Religion has a checklist. God does not. And so we sit here and we understand walking in the light means that my inward and my outward, my heart and my actions both match up with what God desires. Well, what is the light? Well, God is light, it says. He's the example. Jesus is the example. Again, back when I was in junior high it was the popular little bracelet, the WWJD bracelet. What would Jesus do? And we thought, man, if we were wearing that little bracelet that got so dirty and nasty so quick, if we were wearing that little bracelet, boy, we were special. As everybody knew that we asked the question, what would Jesus do? You can ask the question all you want. But the real question is, what are you doing? Are you walking in the light? Now, Jesus is the example. So if you're going to say, I need to make this decision in my life. What would Jesus do? Jesus would do this, so I should do this. That's fair. But a lot of times Christians spend so much time acting like they're, uh, I'll use the word religious, but that's probably not the right word, acting like they're spiritual, like they're right with God, like they're obedient to God, when the reality is they're not. They might check off the checklist on certain days. Well, I go to church, check well, I'm nice to the old lady crossing the street, check. Well, I gave money, check. God already tells us He doesn't care about your money. He cares about your heart. And so walking in the light, yes, we need to do the outward things that are right, but we, God wants us to be inwardly right also. God knows what your heart is, right? So if I'm, I can fool you any day of the week. You can fool me any day of the week. But if your heart's wrong, you can't fool God. So when he says walk in the light, he's not saying just do the actions, but he's saying your heart also. Your life needs to be walking in the light. Walking in the light is not supposed to be an imitation of God. It's supposed to be the identity of a Christian. Sometimes we think that we just have to mirror somebody else. Whether it's God, or one of the apostles, or one of the people we read about in the Bible, we're like, boy, if I could just mirror that. Or somebody in our life that we view as very spiritual and, and very godly, we think, boy, if I could just be like that. But walking in the light is not an imitation of something, it's an identity. It's supposed to be your identity. It's supposed to be my identity that we walk in the light. But not only do we walk in the light, the second condition of fellowship is walking away from sin. In verse 8 it says, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His word is not in us. We can't fool people. Listen, um, and this is, again, written to Christians, but uh, let me clarify. One of the first questions that I ask someone if I'm going through the gospel with them is, do you admit that you're a sinner? Because if you're not, if you're not a sinner, you don't need to be saved. The Bible says we're all sinners. If you have children, you understand that at the earliest of ages, we're a sinner. the older we get, maybe, maybe we get better. Maybe we sin less. We're still a sinner. And he says that if you say you have no sin, we deceive ourselves. We don't deceive God. We deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. But then he tells us in verse number 9, you are a sinner, you do sin, and if you'll confess your sin, God will forgive you. How many times? Remember the disciple asked? How many times should we forgive? The, the law, the, the Pharisees, the religious people say we should give three, forgive three times, uh, but maybe we should forgive seven times. Right, God? And God says there's no limit to forgiveness. So, again, this letter's written to me. It's written to you. He says, if you'll confess your sin, I'll forgive you every time. Now listen, again, our minds don't always capture this. Because when my child comes to me and says, Dad, I'm sorry for having that attitude. I will say, thank you for that. I forgive you. Make sure it doesn't happen again. And whether it's the same day or the next day, it's usually not too long after, there's the attitude again. And my son will come to me and he'll say, Dad, I'm sorry. And he's very good at this. Dad, I'm sorry for acting that way. I said, well, I would appreciate it if you would show that you're sorry and stop acting that way. I forgive you. And then within minutes or hours later, there it is again. And so now my son comes back to me. Dad, I'm sorry for having a bad attitude. And I'm like, no, you're not. You just keep doing it over and over again. And I get fed up with it. Are you like that? Or am I the only one? I get fed up with it. I'm like, you're not sorry. If you are sorry, you'd stop doing it. But you know what? I go to God and I say, God, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done this. Please forgive me. And God takes the eraser out and he erases that sin off the chalkboard. Dry erase board, I think is what we use now. Uh, deletes it off his phone whatever he, it's gone he gets rid of it and no matter how long it goes past when I commit that sin again if I confess it if I come back and say God I did it again God I'm sorry forgive me God says you're forgiven and he erases it and no matter how long it lasts and I come back again I say God I did it again God forgive me. God says you're forgiven," and he wipes it out and he clears it out. I'm 38 years old. You know how many times I've had to go to God and say, "God, forgive me." You know how many times God has forgiven me every single time. Does he get Is, is he disappointed in my sin? Yeah, yeah, it hurts. Why does it hurt God when we sin? He, he died on a cross for us. He was beaten, He was bruised. He was nailed to a cross for me. So is He disappointed when I sin? Yes. But you know what He does when I, when I ask Him for forgiveness? He forgives me every single time. And I know so many Christians, and I've been guilty of it too, where we drag that sin around. We'll say, God, forgive me. And God says, you're forgiven. And we just go, oh, I can't believe I did that. Oh, man, and just, it just weighs us down. God says, hey, I've forgotten about it. Move on. I've met so many Christians who refuse to serve in church because they say, Pastor, you don't understand. And I've done, done this in my life. God doesn't say, well, you're out. No. He says, you're forgiven. There are things that may disqualify us from certain things. But you're never disqualified from the service of God if you're forgiven and in fellowship with God. So if we say that we've sinned, well, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us, but if we'll confess our sins. Because remember as a kid, (laughs) trying to hide something from mom and dad? Um, I'm trying to think of a good example that doesn't get me in too much trouble. Um, But, uh, you know, just something. I don't know what it was. Uh, Try to hide something from mom. And, and they know about it, but you don't know that they know about it. So they're talking to you and you're sitting there going, do they know about it? Did the teacher call? Uh, I lived on the same property where my school was. My teachers saw my parents every single day. So there was usually decent communication there. So, you know, I just sitting there going, okay, I don't, I'm not sure if they know about it. I'm not going to, you know, fess up to it if they don't know about it. Cause then i gonna be in trouble. Uh, and if they do know about it, well, I'm going to be in trouble at some point. But let's let's drag it out as long as we can. Uh, so you know, so you're sitting there, you're just saying, I, you know, I don't, I don't want to tell them, I, want to, I don't want to hide it from them. I I just you know try to get out of trouble, and very rarely did it work. When you come to God, you can't deceive God. There were times where I deceived my parents. I remember talking my way out of spanking one time, only once, but I remember it uh, very clearly. I remember trying to, to deal with my dad. You know, I don't, dad, I don't think this is necessary. <laughs> my dad, a very wise man, says, okay, why not? And then I start to talk, and then he says, okay, I'm done. Bend over. <laughs> but uh, I remember trying to deal with dad. You don't deal with God. God says, have you sinned? Yes. Have you confessed your sin? Yes or no. If you'll confess it, I'll forgive you. Um, Grant knows, we're at work, and if you uh, they've told us when the day they hired us, if you break something, tell us. Tell us as soon as it happens. Um, And and I remember the first time I broke something. Uh, You know, this is equipment. It's not cheap. And so I remember the first time I broke something, I thought, okay, how can I fix this? How can I fix this? How can I fix this? So I tried to do some things, tried to fix it. Couldn't fix it. So I went back to the office and walked in and kind of timidly walked in and said, hey, just, just so you know, uh, today, I was out, out treating and, and uh, got into some bushes and it ripped the switch off the backpack, and uh, the backpack's broken. And he says, Okay, just sit in the back and go grab another one. Like, oh, okay. Go grab another one. Then there was another guy who's no longer with the company. Um, Dent of the truck tried to fix it himself, couldn't fix it, still didn't tell anybody. They finally got found out. A couple weeks later, he was gone. Um, the idea of, hey, if you mess up, just let us know. See, God, God already knows when you mess up. But He says, do you want fellowship? Well, if you want fellowship, you need to be forgiven. How do you get forgiven? You say, God, forgive me. Well, that sounds too easy. <laughs> the Bible says it. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness." We have to admit that we sin. We have to confess that sin, repent of that sin. Repent is, it's just a turning. It's just a, it a, it's a, sounds like a big religious word, but it's just, I'm going this way, I repent of this, so now I'm going this way. Sin is the same thing. God, I sinned. God, what I did was wrong. Lord, forgive me. And God says, I forgive you. Now, if you truly are asking for forgiveness, you're gonna repent, you're gonna go the other way. Will you eventually make your way back? Maybe. But you can't say, uh, you know, I'm going this way, God forgive me for going this way, and God says, I forgive you, and you just keep going this way. You don't want forgiveness. You just want to feel better. The desire for forgiveness comes with a desire to change. And God says, if you'll confess it, I'll forgive it. We see in this first chapter, and actually fellowship continues on into the second chapter, but we're going to dive into that more next, next week, but we see this, this idea that fellowship, God intended it a certain way. And that way is to walk as God gave us the example. God is light. There's no darkness in Him. There's nothing wrong with God. He is perfect. He is righteous. Uh, in, in, we read of in Christ's life that there were times where He was angry, but He wasn't out of control. It says it was righteous anger. He's perfect. He's never made a mistake. He was a kid; didn't make a mistake. Can you imagine, parent? How how hard it must have been for Mary and for Joseph. Joseph was a carpenter. You know how many times he hit his thumb with a hammer. You know, you're allowed to yell, but you're not allowed to yell certain things. Um, so, you know, and having Jesus sitting there as an eight-year-old, never sinned. Uh, and there's Joseph saying something or doing something, or there's Mary gossiping about the neighbor or whatever it may be, and then you see Jesus sitting there and going, oh, man. There's no darkness in him. He is light, so we need to walk in that light. And so if we walk in darkness, we don't have that fellowship with God. It gets broken. And in that darkness, sin, in that darkness, when we confess it, God says, you're forgiven. And there's the fellowship again. That's the way God intended it, fellowship with Him. Next week, we're going to look at how to maintain the fellowship. And then we're also going to look at some tests of that fellowship as well. Lord, I pray for your help. I know that we desire to walk with you. I know that we want to have fellowship with you. But Lord, I also know that oftentimes we do things in our life that, that hurt that fellowship. Lord, that hinder that fellowship. And so, God, I pray that you would help us today, uh, that we would be right with you. Lord, that we will go to you and confess our sins, and that, Lord, you will forgive those sins. And, Lord, I pray that if there's someone here this morning that's that's never begun that fellowship with you, they've never said, God, save me, Lord, I pray that today they would call on you and be saved. And, Lord, I just pray that you would help us, help us to to draw, draw closer to you, help us to walk in that light. Lord, help us to be what you desire for us to be. And I pray this in Jesus' name. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, John, I'm going to ask you to come if you don't mind and in just a minute play something for us. Heads bowed and eyes closed. I'd like to ask you a couple questions before our invitation this morning. Question number one, have you ever started that fellowship with God? If you're here this morning, you'd say, Preacher, I'm not perfect. Um, I